you're tuned into the Chug LLP's podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration, and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues. Hello, everyone. My name is Ariana Gonzalez, and I'm the Client Services Manager here at Chug Attorneys and CPAs. Please join me in welcoming partner and attorney Sharia Tomar from our New Delhi affiliate office, ICUL. Hi there, Sharia, and welcome. Hi, Ariana. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be a part of this. I wish to provide my views on the subject. So for today's topic, we're going to be talking all about owning, purchasing, selling, and managing immovable properties by NRIs and foreigners in India. So let's get right into it. So let's start with talking about acquisition of immovable properties. So Sharia, who can purchase immovable properties in India, and what are the types of properties that they can purchase? Okay, so uh, if we talk about uh, from the point of view of non-residents, we can uh, say that there can be three types of uh, individuals who can purchase properties in India, like NRI, person of Indian origin, PIO, and foreign nationals. And when we talk about foreign nationals, we can uh, again subdivide them into two categories. Those foreign nationals of uh, non-Indian origin who have uh, come to India for some employment or some research or some student visa, so they can do so under general permission of foreign exchange law. But typical foreign uh, nationals of non-resident status, and if they want to acquire a whole property in India, they have to go by specific permission of RBI. So this is how, if we go ahead with the individuals who are non-residents, we can divide them into like three categories uh, like this. NRIs, PIOs, and foreign nations, like I explained. So because this subject is limited to NRIs, BIOs, and foreign nationals, so there is per se no such restriction that what type of properties, immobile properties, they can purchase in India. But there is certain restriction. Three types of properties are there which they cannot purchase. Like uh, one is agricultural land, second is plantation property, and another is farm. So agricultural land, we all understand that, that the farm land basically, which is being used for uh, farm purposes, agricultural purposes. And a lot of questions arises uh, with respect to the plantation property, that what what is typically a plantation property. So in terms of various interpretation, plantation property is basically a land which is used for cultivating and growing cash crops. Cash crops means tea, coffee, spices, rubber, or uh, such similar types of crops. When we grow them on commercial scale, the property concern is uh, treated as a plantation property. And the third type is the farmhouse. A farmhouse is basically a residential property, which is built over a land or uh, adjacent to the agricultural purposes. A farm. This is basically used by farmers and farm workers and is often associated with agriculture. So apart from, like I explained, agricultural land, plantation property, and farmhouses, NRI, PIOs, and foundationals can purchase all other types of removal properties in India with the general or specific permissions. Those are some great insights, Sharia. 
Let's get into the next question. Can you talk about the difference between an NRI, a PIO, and an OCI? Okay, that's a very interesting one because generally we use these terms uh, interchangeably that NRI is a NRI is a PIO and all that. Okay? So I'll uh, just explain you the a very fine line between all these three. So NRI, a non-resident Indian, is basically an Indian citizen who is residing outside India, but he holds an Indian passport. Whereas a person of Indian origin is a person who was an Indian or his ancestors were Indian, but right now he is a foreign citizen. He holds a foreign passport, but he has he has uh, applied. Uh, because of his descendants, he has become a person of Indian origin. And when a PIO holder or someone else applies for an OCI card, that is a special scheme launched by government of India in 2005, if some person, like, uh, they apply for an OCI card for the benefit of, because the uh, India doesn't offer dual citizenship, right? But OCI is a method where they can uh, utilize such uh, kind of benefit. They are permitted once they hold that uh, OCI card. They are permitted to live and work in India for an independent period. They need not to uh, apply for a special visa or kind. So that's the basic fine line between an NRI, PIO, and OCI card. There are quite a few differences there. Thank you for sharing that, Sharia. Let's get into the next question. Is it permissible for foreign nationals of non-Indian origin to acquire immovable property in India? Yeah, like I explained in your first question as well, when we decided to move ahead with this topic and we divided the non-resident individuals into three categories like NRIs, BIOs, and foreign nationals who are not of Indian origin and a resident outside India. So uh, again, I would also wish to explain there are 11 countries, uh, basically the bordering is the countries which are situated on the borders of India India doesn't permit the citizens of these 11 countries to acquire immobile property in India or sell those immobile properties in India without the special permission of RBI. These countries are like Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, China, Nepal, Bhutan, Hong Kong, Macau, and North Korea, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. So if a citizen of these 11 countries they want to acquire any more property in India, they have to go for a special permission from RBI, then only they can acquire. Now, all those foreign nationals who are not from these countries, again, we can put them into two separate categories, which the one who have become a resident in India in terms of their uh, resident, uh, residential status, it passed uh, financial year, and their intention to stay in India. So they can do so. They can purchase the immobile property, except farmhouses, plantation properties, and agricultural land with general permission. And if they are the resident outside India, they can purchase the immobile property in India with special permission. So this is the again uh, a basic difference, a fine line uh, that how to treat uh, about. But India is very friendly in allowing foreign nationals also, like people from U.S. Like U.S. Uh, national, U.S. cities and can also acquire property in India by way of going just uh, a special permission for market. And if they are in India for an employment visa and if they are staying for an indefinite period, they prove their intention that they would be in India for an indefinite period. 
then they can do so with general permission. They do not to they need not to take any special permission from RPI and they just go ahead and purchase the That's very helpful information. Just a quick disclaimer if this conversation is for informational purposes only. It does not create an attorney-client relationship. So please email us any questions you have at info at chug.com and we'll be happy to help you out. Let's get into the next question. So what about the procedures for NRIs? Can we talk about the procedures for NRIs and PIOs to purchase property in India? Okay, so, so the procedure is very simple. Like you purchase property in US, it happens in India. But since you are dealing with a foreign territory, you are transferring the purchase consideration either from uh, your foreign country to India or you might be utilizing your Indian funds. So an uh, NRI or a PIO can either transfer the sale price by way of normal banking channels. They can send the foreign exchange to the buyer's account and complete the sale transaction or they can use their NRE, FTNR or NRO bank account in India and uh, they can debit the, their respective account and make the purchase of the property. So that's very simple. So Sharia, does a foreign national who is considered a resident of India under Section 2 VIB of the Foreign Exchange Management Act require prior approval from the RBA to purchase immovable property in India? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so the, basically it is like uh, why, what I was explaining earlier as well, that when a foreign national is considered to be a resident in India and when he would not be needing a special permission from RBI to purchase the property. So here we need to prove two things. One, that he has stayed in India for more than 182 days uh, in the preceding year, preceding financial year. And second is, that his purpose of staying in India, as well as the type of Indian visa he is holding, clearly indicates his intention in to stay in India for an uncertain, indefinite period, basically for a longer period of time. So when we say longer visas for such purposes, these are like student visas, medical visas, research visa, employment visa, project visa. If people, foreign nationals are on such visas in India, and their intention is to stay in India for a longer period of time. And they have stayed uh, more than 182 days in the preceding financial year. They qualify to become a resident in India and they can purchase the property, a mobile property in India under general permission of RPA. However, uh, like I explained, any foreign nationals or from those 11 countries, they in any case would be requiring RBA's special permission. I appreciate you going into detail about that, Sharia. So do NRIs and PIOs need to file any documents with the RBI at any stage to purchase property in India? What's your experience with that? No, because uh, NRIs and PIOs can purchase and mold properties under general permission from RBI. So they need not to submit any special form or any special thing with the RBI or any other authority. They just need to take care of the taxation. Great insights, Sharia. So let's get into inheritance. Are persons of Indian origin or non-resident Indians and foreign nationals of non-Indian origin allowed to inherit immovable property in India? What are your thoughts on that? Yes, so uh, that is also very clear. And even under inheritance, you can acquire such properties. You can hold such properties which you cannot buy. You can also inherit 
the agricultural land. You can also inherit plantation property. You can also inherit farmhouses under inheritance. So an NRI, a PIO, even a foreign national, they can inherit all such immobile properties in India from either a person resident in India or person resident out. It is just in the case of foreign nationals that uh, if they are inheriting some immobile properties in India, they have to intimate RBI about the inheritance and they are going to hold this property. That intimation and that such a approval kind of a thing they have to take from RBI after such inheritance. Beyond that, uh, there is uh, no such uh, specific uh, restriction about any person. So NRIs, PIO and foreign residents, they can uh, inherit properties uh, any and they can hold such a board property. They can afterwards sell that property. We can uh, discuss later part of this discussion. What about the eligible individuals from whom a non-resident can inherit immovable property? Can you talk a little bit about that? Okay, so uh, an NRI or a PIO holder, they can inherit properties from uh, a person resident in India or resident outside India. If they are inheriting the property resident from a person resident outside India or from a foreign national, they have to prove, they have to provide some evidence that uh, the foreign national or resident or a person from whom they are inheriting, they acquired this property at the time of acquisition in terms of the prevalent uh, foreign exchange. So they have to prove this thing. Other than that, there is no such bar, uh, except the thing that if a foreign national is acquiring any property under the inheritance and to hold that property, they have to take one from her. Great. Let's get into leasing immovable property in India. Is it permissible for NRIs, PIOs, or foreign nationals to hold immovable property in India on lease? Yeah, that's also very interesting. Because when you have some properties, either by your purchase or by inheritance, you want to rent them out. Because this way you can manage those properties, you can uh, maintain those properties. So yes, you can uh, let the property out all which you have. And to your specific question, that whether these NRIs and PIOs can have properties on lease in it, yeah, yes, they can have. NRIs and PIOs, there is no restriction as to time as well. But any foreign national, like if a person, a US citizen wants to have a property on lease in India, they can do so without any permission if the lease is not more than five years. If it is more than five years, then they have to take permission from us. Right? So that's the only thing. Another question on that topic, is it allowed for NRIs, PIOs, or foreign nationals to lease out residential or commercial property that has been acquired through foreign exchange or ruby funds? Yes. I explained that thing in the first question itself, that NRIs, PIOs, they can rent out their property without any prior approval from RBRE. And whatever rent they receive after paying the relevant taxes, they can remit that thing outside India. Those are some great insights, Sharia. So another question on that topic, what are the types of accounts where rental income earned by NRIs and PIOs from properties in India can be deposited? So typically based on my experience, see, uh, NRIs and PIOs can have their uh, NRE and NRO account. But based on my experience and uh, nitty-gritty involved, we always advise our client that uh, all such Indian income should be deposited in your NRO account. 
because NRE account is basically for foreign income and it is denominated uh, basically foreign currency. You get withdraw money in Indian currency, but it is basically your foreign income which is deposited in uh, NRE. And so my advice to my clients is always that whatever rent or whatever Indian income you receive, it should be deposited in your NRO account. And after paying to taxes, you can transfer it to NRE or you can transfer it directly to your uh, US bank account or your foreign bank account. But that's not a problem. Another question on that. What about the taxability regime surrounding rental income earned by NRIs and OCIs from immovable properties in India? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. So it's like uh, when you are earning. Rental is an uh, earning from your house property. And if you are earning something in India, you have to pay taxes. Right? So in India, typically, if you rent out your property, whatever amount, whatever amount of rent you are receiving, you have to pay taxes at the rate of 30 percent. So basically, the lessee, the tenant, will deduct this 30 percent plus surcharge that would effectively come uh, around 31.2 percent from your rental, uh, this thing. And this deduction would be deposited by him in the tax department against your band number and by end of the financial year you can file your income tax return and claim that the tax is more and you can claim some refund as well and if you feel that your uh, income is less in India you can uh, beforehand apply for a loan tax deduction certificate uh, under section 197 well but typically speaking you can rent out the property but whatever rent you receive it would be subject to tax reduction at source, which would effectively add 31.2. Now let's get into the transfer and sale of a movable property. Is it possible for an NRI or PIO or foreign national to sell their residential or commercial property in India? Yes, so if you have purchased your property, you want to sell them off. If you inherited some property, you want to sell them off for a good amount of money for earning progress and all. So, uh, again, uh, we can divide this question in three parts. And now I can sell this uh, immobile property is a mold property to a person resident in India, to another NRI, to a PIO person as well. A PIO can again sell his Indian property to a person resident in India, an NRI, but he can only sell it to a PIO with the prior approval of RBI. But in the case of foreign nationals, when they may fall under general permission. They might have acquired the property under general permission. But all the foreign nationals, they can sell their Indian property only with the prior approval of whether they are selling it to Indian resident, whether they are selling it to an NRI, whether they are selling it to Foreign nationals have to take prior permission, prior approval of RBI before selling their Indian property to any. That's the bottom. Great. Thanks for talking about how that's possible. So are NRIs, PIOs, and foreign nationals permitted to sell their agricultural land or farmhouse in India? Yeah. So again, like I explained in the first portion of our discussion, that these are the land, uh, agricultural land, plantation property, and farms. These are not permitted to be acquired by NRIs, PIOs, and foreign They might get them under inheritance, right? So, but if you have that property in inheritance or otherwise, 
sell that property. NRIs and PIUs can sell their agricultural and uh, property, plantation property and uh, farmhouses, but only to a person resident. Because you cannot sell an agricultural property or plantation property to an NRI. Because there is a restriction, NRI cannot purchase an uh, agricultural property. And similarly, in the case, if a foreign national holds some agricultural property by inheritance, he can do so with the permission of RBI. I appreciate you sharing those insights. Is it possible for an NRI to sell their immovable property in India if they are unable to travel to India? What's your experience with that? Yes, it happens with a lot of our clients and uh, friends. They are settled. They do not have time to travel to India because uh, there are a lot of documentation involved, a lot of time and uh, this thing and it worked. So uh, by way of a power of attorney, we suggest to our client that they can sell their property, they can give that power of attorney to one of their relatives or friends who can appear on their behalf collect the sale consideration on their behalf in their respective account and complete the sale But this power of authority needs to be drafted very well. So it's a registrability application of the staff duty can be taken. Can you talk about the alternative methods through which an NRI, PIO, or foreign national can transfer their immovable property in India? Okay, so uh, apart from selling, that when transfer it was. So we generally give two options. Like one is gift. So NRI and PIUs can also give their properties, uh, residential commercial properties to another resident in India, another NRI or PIU. And they can also give their agricultural and plantation property, but only to a person resident. They can also mortgage their properties either with the Indians, uh, some nationalized Indian bank, a party abroad and they need not to have any RBA approval in this regard. But when it comes to foreign nationals, if they want to give their property and if they want to mortgage their property, they can only do so with the prior approval of RBI. Because with the in the case of foreign nationals, they just cannot transfer their property without the permission of RBI. So in the case of gift as well, in the case of mortgage as well, they can do so but they have to take bad permission. I appreciate you going into detail about that. Let's get into taxability or transfer acquisition of immovable property. What are the tax implications for NRIs and PIOs on the sale of their immovable property in India? Okay, so uh, there's very important portion of our discussion because uh, when NRI wish to discuss about sale of their property, they want to know about the taxation and bond, that how much tax they have to pay and all that thing. So whatever profits you earn from selling a property in India are always subject to taxation, right? And uh, generally what happens that uh, you, uh, you are not filing your tax returns and all that. So uh, what we need to see here, uh, while deciding the taxability of uh, your uh, income from the sale of the property, one is the sale price of the property. And the second one is the period of holding of that property in India. If it is uh, more than two years you are holding this property, then you have to pay long-term capital gain tax. And if it is less than two years, then short-term capital gain tax. And while paying long-term capital gain taxes, because generally people hold such properties under inheritance, or 
it happens uh, in my experience uh, people generally hold such property for like 10 years and 15 years so generally long term capital gain tax and it is calculated uh, for this thing government of india has devised a process that the buyer in india have to deduct tda like we have explained in the case of rent as well in our earlier questions so whatever sale price would be there in case of long term capital gain tax a tds typically we call it tds a tds will have to be deducted and it depends upon the sale price of the property if you're selling if an nri is selling his property which is worth like 50 lakhs india rupees then uh, the collective amount of tds would be 20.8% and if it is between 50 to 50 lakhs to 1 crore india rupees then the tds amount would be tds rate effective would be 22.88% but if the property is worth more than one crore if you are selling it for more than one crore basically the sale price if the sale price is more than one crore then you have to pay tds 23.9 so basically when you are selling the property within these brackets the buyer of your property will deduct this tds and deposit this tds with the income tax authority and it will be reflected against your bank i know that was quite a big question so i appreciate you breaking that down for us so just to make sure we're all on the same page with this, can you talk about what's the definition of a person resident in India? Okay, well, from FIBA perspective, because we are talking about in, uh, immobile properties and, well, and their acquisition. So like I explained earlier at works, we need to see two things. One, the person was residing in India for more than 182 days in the preceding financial year. Here, financial year means, uh, like, starting from 1st April, and ending on 31st March in the following year, right? In India, we follow this financial year, unlike US, where we follow the connected year as a financial year. In India, we follow a 12 month starting from April 1st, ending on 31st March of the following year. So he must have stayed in the preceding financial year for more than one year. And secondly, he has to establish, he or she has to establish, based on his visa, his, his intention, to show that he would be here in India for an indefinite period, for the, a longer period, like for student visa, medical visa, employment visa, like this. So if these two conditions are satisfied for, uh, from FEMA perspective, the person would be treated as a resident. Fantastic. Next question for you. So in what circumstances is the buyer required to deduct, deduct TDS, tax deducted at source, when purchasing property? Okay, so like, uh, like we explained, when uh, an NRA was selling the property, the Indian buyer would be deducting the TDS. In this case, the reverse will happen. In this case, the NRI and BIUs are buying properties in India. So they will deduct TDS amount from the sale consideration to be paid to the seller. It may be a builder, it may be a developer, it may be an individual property. So NRI and BIUs have to deduct TDS and deposit this thing with the income tax department. Interesting insights. I appreciate you sharing that. So what is the basis for calculating the amount of TDS tax reducted at source to be deducted? Okay, so typically uh, there are numerous uh, portions, numerous guidelines, and uh, we can say that there is a section for 195 of income tax tax, which covers the deduction of TDS on sale of property by So whenever someone needs a very good clarity 
on uh, such text deduction, he might go through this uh, section 195 with recent amendment or can take help of uh, Indian attorneys who deal with real estate and open advise them uh, with readily available data and how to go about. Great. So the deduction must be done on the amount of capital gains. I appreciate you going into that for us. So what about the NRE, NRO, and FCNR accounts? What are the various banking channels and accounts that NRIs can use to facilitate the transfer and acquisition of immovable property in India? Yeah, that is very interesting and very practical part of the problem because you find the property, you want to purchase it, but you don't know how to transfer the money to the buyer because you cannot uh, purchase property in currency. You cannot uh, purchase the property by traveler's check, right? You have to send money through proper banking channels. You can send that money either from outside India through normal banking channels uh, by import limited or you can debit your NRE, NRO, or FCNR fee account in the body purchase of the property. Now, what are these accounts stands for? An NRE account is a typical bank account where NRI can deposit only their foreign income, which gets converted into Indian And withdrawal from this NRE account can be made in Indian rupees only. And funds can be transferred by one NRE to another NRE or NRO account. This, in this account, you would be depositing your uh, foreign income. The deposits in NRE account are fully repatriable and interest earned on this account is also taxed. Similarly, there is a FCNR account. The only difference is that uh, in this account, currency is uh, designated in uh, typical currency like uh, US dollars, pound, euros or something like that. And it is also fully repatriable. All the deposits uh, lying in FCNR account, they can be repatriated out the India without any restriction. And whatever interest you earn on the on your FCNR account is also directly. Now the third one is NRO account, which is very useful for NRIs and PRUs. And generally, people have such NRO accounts for their Indian account. So in this uh, NRO account is a typical ordinary rupee account and you can deposit both your local income arising in India as well as your foreign income. However, denomination of all the deposits and withdrawals in this NRO account can only be in Indian rupee. And it is not fully repatriable. Whatever amount is lying in NRO account, you can only transfer USD 1 million in one financial year. So up to March, like I explained uh, about the financial year, you can only transfer from this uh, NRO account, from your NRO account, only USD 1 million in one financial year. And if you earn some interest in this NRO account, this is also subject to deduction at the FDK. So these are the basic difference and how you did your NRE, NRO, and FCNR. I appreciate you going into the NRE account, the NRO account, and the FCNR account. I know that was quite a bit of information there. So let's talk about repatriation. Are NRIs or PIOs allowed to repatriate sale proceeds of a movable property? Yeah, uh, because you purchase the property, you want to earn some profits and all that thing. Yes, it is allowable. But now here we need to see that how the purchase price when you acquired this property in India was paid. So if the acquisition of that property happened through foreign exchange, you transferred money from outside India 
or it was done from the like pivoting your NRE or FPNR account. So you can only re repatriate the same amount. It cannot be more than that from which you have purchased this property. You can only remit the amount with which you have purchased the property. If you have purchased a property for like 500,000 USD, you can remit, you can sell it for 600 USD, 600,000 USD, but you can only remit outside India 500. That's it. But the balance amount can be transferred into your NRO account and which can uh, gradually be transferred and gradually be can repatriated up to USD 1 million per financial year. So uh, this is the uh, one thing. And if you have purchased this property through your INR account, through your Indian income or through your NRO account, then you can remit uh, only 1 million USD per year uh, through your NRO. So these are the restrictions. This is how you can handle That's very helpful insight. So what type of accounts can be used to credit the sale proceeds from a movable property for NRIs and PIOs for foreign nationals in India? So it's like I explained in the case of rent as well. Again, we advise our clients to have NRO accounts for such state proceeds for the rental income for pensions and all that. Right? And then they can uh, earn their income and deposit this thing in NRO and can transfer like uh, 1 million USD per year. Is there a limit on the number of residential properties for which sale proceeds can be repatriated by the NRIs or PIOs? Yeah, that's also very interesting. Uh, NRIs and PIOs can only repatriate the money, sale proceeds of two residential properties. So uh, we need to be very careful while uh, holding such properties in India. If you want to hold more residential, there is no such restriction in case of commercial property. So you can, uh, if you have two residential properties in India, then we would suggest that you should buy more commercial property so that you can sell those commercial properties and uh, remit the sales proceeds outside India. But in case of uh, residential property, there is a restriction of up to two properties, you can transfer the sales proceeds outside India. And uh, if there are more properties, you can deposit the sales proceeds and you have an account and then again you can use the limit of university money. So let's get on with our last question. So is it possible to repatriate the sale proceeds of an immovable property that was inherited by a foreign national who is not an NRI or PIO? Yeah, so that's a very tricky question. Generally, it happens very less that uh, a foreign national would be inheriting some properties uh, in India. But it, if it happens, he, well, he inherited, he has to take approval from RBI to hold this property in India. There is firstly no such restriction on inheritance, but to hold such inheritance by a foreign national, you have to take approval from RBI. And now if you want to sell this property, wherever you belong, you may belong to these elevated countries as well, you may belong to US, the UK as well. While disposing of these inherited properties, you have to take prior permission from RBI. And whatever proceeds you receive, you can uh, repatriate them with the prior approval of RBI. So that's my take on this. That does bring us to the end of our conversation. If you have any questions or suggestions, please feel free to send us an email at info.chuk.com. Until next time, stay safe and take care. 
Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our work, please visit our websites at www.chug.com for legal and immigration and www.chug.net for tax. Be sure to subscribe to get regular business insights from the Chug LLP team. 